Hello, this is Pass Caring, a podcast from the Library and Archive at the Royal College of Nursing, the RCN. I'm Frances Reed, and our aim is to shout loudly about the incredible and essential work that nurses do now and throughout the centuries. So this is a podcast that uses history to understand how we think about health and care today. In this episode, we're going to be talking and thinking about emotions in nursing, and I'm really lucky to have Dr. Sarah Cheney with me now and throughout the podcast. Sarah is a historian who's written and thought a lot about emotions in nursing. Her most recent book is called Am I Normal? And she also works at the Royal College of Nursing Library and Archive as Events and Exhibitions Manager. Sarah, thank you very much for taking part in this podcast with us. Hello, thanks very much for having me. So I've got a big question to start with, which might seem like a strange one. What is an emotion? Well, it's a very complicated question and something that psychologists and philosophers and other thinkers have argued about over the years and still can't necessarily agree on. So emotions are strange because there's something, it feels like something very private that we have, but they're also something that we talk about and that we think we share. We have a lot of words to name different kinds of emotions. One famous psychologist who thought a lot about emotions was William James. And in the 1880s, he uh, wrote that uh, emotions were physiological reactions. So his view was that we don't cry because we're sad, but uh, we have the reaction first and then we have the feeling. So we cry and then we are sad. So in James's view, all of these things start as physiological reactions. But again, that's very difficult to categorise. We know the feeling through the experience uh, that we have of them and how we name them. But we don't necessarily notice whether we might have a physiological change first, or whether we always have a physiological change, or whether we just feel slightly differently Mm. Um, and we all then might have slightly different experiences uh, of that emotion as well shaped by what's going on around us. So you touched on some 19th century ideas about emotion there so what does history have to do with emotions? Well I think one of the most interesting things about looking at emotions through history is that we can see that they're not universal, uh, that they change all the time. They change uh, depending on the context, depending on people's expectations of them. People use different words to describe different experiences. Of course, that's true across cultures as well. So some languages don't have words for emotions that are described in in another language, but then they might have lots of different words for something that's only one word in, Mm. in another language. And that shapes the experiences that we have of them as well. So the way we understand emotions and interpret them actually then goes back in and and shapes the experience that we have. And I think today, many psychologists writing about emotions will see them as this kind of complex interplay between the context and our understanding and then this kind of um, intangible thing that is a feeling. So nursing is a profession that is very wrapped up in emotions. What emotions are we talking about when we look at nursing? Whose emotions, what kind of emotions are important to think about when it comes to the nursing profession? Yeah, and I guess when we first think about emotions in nursing, 
the immediate thing that springs to mind might be the emotions of the individual nurse, uh, what's, what they are feeling at any given point. Uh, but when we look back through the history of nursing, we can see that there's a very often changing expectations in what nurses ought to be feeling and what emotions are viewed to be central to nursing. And these are not necessarily the same as what an individual is feeling at any particular time. So we have on the one hand this particular but changing set of ideas around nursing uh, from things like uh, faith, love and fortitude in the uh, early 20th century and then a more recent idea of compassion uh, in nursing. But of course the experience of a nurse um, and of anyone working in healthcare will actually be a huge range uh, of different emotional traits that are not necessarily the same as the expectations. Thank you Sarah, we'll come back to you later in the podcast. One of the projects that I worked with Sarah on at the RCN was around the stained glass windows in Cowdray Hall here at HQ. The original windows were created by John Dudley Forsyth in the early 20th century to depict what was considered the ideal traits of a nurse at that time. As you mentioned, Sarah, faith, fortitude and love. In 2019 and 2020, we ran a project with the artist Rachel Mulligan to create a new stained glass triptych for the 21st century. Nurses from across the country took part in discussions about what nursing means now, trying to settle on new words to describe ideal traits or emotions. They made pieces of stained glass drawing on historical images of nursing, and many of these were incorporated into the final windows, which are still on display here at HQ. I talked to Rachel Mulligan and one of the participants, Ofra Maflahi, about their experiences. I began by asking Rachel to describe the original stained glass windows. Well, the first thing to say is they're very colourful and bright. They have cherubs in each one, representing each of the words. Uh, and they're surrounded by a garland of flowers. There's some fruit in there. There's some birds. They're very classic in feel. The cherubs are on a plinth. The writing is chiselled into the plinth. And when I first saw them, they didn't say a great deal to me about nursing. They seem to be quite generic yeah. in their treatment of it. But very beautiful, very colourful. They were made by John Dudley Forsyth in the 1920s, who designed for stained glass. There is something, there's something significant, isn't there, about this method of stained glass? And I think most people would associate it with churches. So it's got that very religious association, hasn't it? Which, of course, nursing does in its history as well. Is that right, Rachel? Yes, traditionally, uh, stained glass has obviously come out of a, a religious context. But it's also used a lot in domestic settings and in public buildings, which this was obviously a public building. And I suppose it gives the building a bit of gravitas and a bit of mm. anchoring in history. Yeah, well, they're in that, that main hall, which is already quite an impressive building, yes. isn't it? And then they, they look in good company in that quite grand yes. main, main hall there. Um, Ofra, so one of the big things that we talked about in the workshops that you took part in were these three words, faith, fortitude and love. And what they meant to nurses now, if they made sense, if they're completely out of date. Um, and it was interesting that there were mixed views on it. And I wonder what you feel about those words today. For me, nursing is about the desire to care and to do well and, and, and to be better, really. For me, that is firmly embedded in faith and love and fortitude. I was thinking about the word faith and... 
certainly for me as a nurse, it's not just seeing it through the lens of your profession, but also seeing it through the lens of of you personally. So in, in my culture, the word faith translated is Iman, and that's about the translation, the literal translation is about affirmation and you do a lot of that in nursing in your day-to-day work you you have to have faith so it does translate out in in practice so that kind of resonated Mm. with me in in many ways and the the word associated with with faith. One of the initial ideas was that we might be able to come up with new words to represent contemporary nursing or modern nursing and words that made sense to nurses working today and unsurprisingly, that that turned into an impossible task. We couldn't we couldn't decide on three words for for nursing now. So yeah, Ofra, I wonder how you found that process. I mean, the six C's came up a lot, didn't they? The the sort of if, yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about the six C's, and yeah, a little bit about how you found those conversations about how you describe nursing today. Well, yeah, the, the, I think the six C's, if I remember rightly, would instigated from an NHS strategy back in 2012, if I I remember rightly. I think that was as a result of the uh, Robert Francis report where they talked a lot about, um, you know, compassionate care. And I think you're right. It's very difficult to kind of pin um, specific words to nursing. I mean, for me as a nurse, you know, Compassionate care is is a golden thread that, you know, it's just a given in terms of who you are as a nurse. And compassion or the word compassion or compassionate, if you talk about the strategy, you know, that's 2012. You know, we've we've been nursing for hundreds and hundreds of years. and, Mm. and, And despite the different language, you know, some some people might call it sympathy. Some people might call it being kind. Some people might call it empathy. Um, throughout my nursing career, you know, people will say, oh, you're so kind or oh, you really understand, you know, where I'm coming from. For me, that, you know, in essence is, is compassionate care. And more importantly, when you look after someone at their most vulnerable, they will feel the compassion or the love or the strength within you and I think patients get a sense of of that when when you're looking after them whether that can be taught I I do not know (laughs) certainly many nurses that I speak to or many healthcare workers that I speak to go into practicing as a nurse because they care and they're kind and, and they want to do good things for people and do what they're best at. For me, compassionate care or compassion is fundamental to any, you know, any kind of nursing profession. I think the other the other C's, I've got them written down here, were courage, commitment, competence and communication, as well as caring and compassion. Yeah. So they did come up in the in the conversations as well as um, words like resilience, knowledge, humanity, professionalism. Mm. So there, 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 there were quite a lot of things that, that almost too many to fit into three mm. panels. Yeah, so Rachel, how did you approach that then? Because obviously, yeah, all the words you just used were came up again and again. 
and nursing is such a, um, a huge, diverse job that's different every single day, different for different people. And I wonder how you capture something like that in something that's a very fixed medium, like a stained, stained glass window. It seems like almost an impossible task, but that's what you did. So how did you approach that from, you know, listening to the nurses in those workshops to turning it into something that people can look at? Well, I suppose the first thing was I, I knew I wanted three panels um, because of the original thing being three. So from that starting point and having discarded the words as a, as a way forward, I thought about the times that I've encountered nurses and most people would encounter them at the start of life, at the end of life and somewhere in the middle. So that was my division of the three panels. And then I wanted to reflect as many aspects as I could. So we have a mental health nurse, we have a, a midwife and a student nurse. And then we have a community setting for the final panel. Incredible how much detail you can get into your stained glass windows. They're very, they're very narrative driven. Looking at your other work, it's very, very narrative storytelling. It's beautiful and so much detail, which I think surprised everyone at how much you could capture in, in stained glass. Yes, yeah, so detail I get with the, um, the engraving, the flash glass that I use, which is a particular kind of glass that you can remove a layer of and have a clear glass underneath. And then painting and using a, a dip pen with the paint as well. Um, and it was really important that I included as many of the panels made by the nurses as possible. So I think there's about 20, 27 or 30 panels included. Um, That's right, they're all around the edge, aren't they? They're all in the borders. So with those, trying to include that and also to get the text in, which helps tell the story of nurses. Yeah, in the first panel, I included oral histories that the RCN had recorded and transcribed. And these were about nurses who came to the uh, UK to work um, and about their journeys and first coming. And they're all connected with um, stamps from around the world that I've used in the border and the detail of the writing I, I borrowed a typewriter an old-fashioned typewriter and typed out the text because I wanted to look like it was um, a news newspaper type recording and then I traced the typewritten text with a dip pen and when it was fired that formed part of the narrative of the first panel around the edge. It was really interesting because for me Nursing is very much an art because you do so many different things in your day-to-day -day role, in your career. And when I started making the stained glass piece, it was building, you know, there, there were stages that I had to, to do it in and it was very intricate. And, and nursing's a bit like that, you know, it's layers and layers of experience and layers and layers of talking to people and making people uh, feel better. And, and, and you you'd can't do that through one single act. And as I was etching, it was so, you know, it's very intricate. You had to be really sensitive, you know, not applying too much pressure. And, and, and I remember, you know, seeking Rachel's approval and am I doing it right? Is, is this the way you should do it? And, 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 you know, really worried about doing it wrong. And I think nursing's a bit like that in many ways. And that's how it felt when I was doing the, the stained glass, although it was 
very fun as well. Yeah, I love that analogy you made between the process of making the stained glass and the process of nursing. Mm. And Ofra, now I wonder what you, because obviously they're in the building that you work in um, occasionally. So when you pass them, I wonder how they make you feel, you know, having been part of it and now you see them on display. Because there's quite a few people I know that do revisit those windows because of the detail. You know, they're looking again at the different kinds of things and using them as a space to reflect, really. Yeah, I, I mean... How they make me feel. Um, immense pride. I, th- I think they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. And it's strange because you still get that, that emotional feeling like I was, you know, in Rachel's studio, you know, actually making it. So... Um, wait, wait, can you it, remind me which one? I think you did I, a couple, did you? I did the did Cypress. You? It had Cypress. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember n- not nearly going to do uh, the stained glass, and I'm so glad that I did because it, it's almost like a moment in history. And when it was opened and and, and it was opened by our then General Secretary and Chief Exec, I mean, it, it was amazing. I mean, there were crowds and crowds of nurses all looking for the bit that they did and having photographs and finger pointing, you know, as in mm. I did this bit and I did that bit. You know, it's such a, a different way of capturing what nursing is in such a beautiful way. Ordinarily, as a nurse, everything is done in text or reams and reams of words. And actually bringing it to life through stained glass was just an amazing feeling. Ofra Maflahi and Rachel Mulligan. You're listening to Past Caring, a podcast from the Royal College of Nursing Library and Archive. So Sarah, I remember in those workshops how difficult it was for the participants to come up with specific words to describe how they see nursing, how how they see their job. And I wonder, the three words faith, fortitude and love, is that a particular 20th century idea of nursing then? Yeah, to an extent. I think faith and love in particular have a longer history. Faith certainly goes well back into the 19th century where the expectation was that nurses had a religious calling and links to the idea of nursing being a vocation. And then that continued alongside the professional side of nursing well into the 1950s. We get oral histories of nurses talking about working on wards in the late 1940s and early 1950s and being expected to be Church of England, being expected to you know go to chapel, to, to do prayers and even to try and convert patients uh, on the wards. Wow. And then uh, with love as well, that also has a longer history, particularly linked to kind of ideas of maternal love. So the assumption was that women made good nurses because they were mothers and they would naturally uh, have a particular set of emotions that they could bring to the task. So then that kind of led to the uh, assumption that you didn't need to train any of this, that uh, that women could just come in and automatically pick up nursing because it was the same as being a mother, in a mm. way. Mm. 
And so did those ideals of emotions for nursing. Did they change over time? Are they still there, but they're called different things? What do those... What does faith, fortitude and love look like now if they existed? Well, I think fortitude is an interesting one in the early 20th century because that was quite new to that period and really emerging out of a shift in nursing in the First World War, which was when the RCM was founded. And this idea of restraining and repressing emotion in nursing. So while that had been there to an extent before, it became really glorified through the First World War with reactions to things like the death of Edith Cavill, um, where she was portrayed as being this kind of stoic icon of nursing, very calmly bearing everything that happens uh, even through her execution. And that was quite newly applied to women in that period, uh, this idea of a stiff upper lip. So kind of nurses subsequently very much adopted this assumption that they needed, needed a stiff upper lip, needed to restrain all their emotions. People often do kind of link things like this notion of fortitude to resilience today, but there are quite significant differences uh, in those and in the assumptions around them, where these ideas come from and how the people are expected to behave. Um, Resilience doesn't necessarily uh, mean being constantly stoical. So after the First World War, there's this idea of resilience and the stiff upper lip, but did nurses still have to be people that showed compassion and emotions as a way to be a good nurse? They kind of had to balance the two. Um, Not really, no. There was um, actually not that much attention to them showing these emotions. Mm. So today, sometimes if people are looking for compassion in earlier texts, they'll think that where sympathy is mentioned, which it is a lot in the um, uh, 1920s and 1930s, that it's the same as compassion today. Um, But when you actually look into what they're talking about... There's a lot of concern that sympathy might lead to frothy sentimentality and that nurses should avoid that, Um, that sympathy had to be very practical, very professional, and that actually what nurses and nurse leaders are often meaning by this is that a nurse, through her sympathy, would understand a patient's feelings and then rather than her kind of reflecting a particular set of emotions, she would then use her knowledge of the patient's feelings to persuade them to behave in a certain way. Ah. So to yeah, make sure they took their medication or behaved themselves on the wards. So a lot of it was about keeping order in the hospital as well. So it's used as a tool. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you do get some people, um, Beatrice Edgell, who uh, wrote about uh, the psychological work of nursing in 1929. Um, she very much saw sympathy as part of this psychological work. Mm, okay. So it's interesting to hear that because when you listen to somebody like Offer, for example, who gave lots of different words that she feels kind of encompass her nursing work, she used sympathy, empathy, kindness, but in a slightly different way to the way that you just described emotions were applied by nurses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And empathy is another really interesting one because that was a very new word uh, in the 1920s. It's a 20th century word. And uh, Beatrice Edgel actually mentions that as well and warns that nurses shouldn't show empathy uh, because empathy at that time meant kind of entering into somebody else's feelings and experiencing them yourself. Mm. Um, So that was dangerous, she thought, for the work of a nurse because then you'd make assumptions about the way the other person was feeling and you'd let your own emotions colour what actually happened to Mm. them. Interesting. 
So I want to go back to compassion. So compassion, I think, has been around for a very, very long time, but then only recently been applied in a healthcare setting or to nursing. Is that right? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, um, a lot of the recent uses of the term compassion tend to assume that it's always been prominent in nursing. But when I looked into that, I found that really wasn't the case. So when you look at nursing journals through the 20th century, uh, it's only in the n- late 1980s that the word starts to creep in. And that's really as part of the idea of practising patient-centred care. But it's quite rarely mentioned, um, and it's not really until the 2000s, really after 2010, uh, that the word gets very prominently and repeatedly applied to nursing. So I wonder how our understanding of compassion shapes public perception of nursing. So we're speaking during a week that's seen the first nurses strike across the UK, Nurses have been on the picket line this week because of pay, yes, but also because of the conditions and resources that are or are not available to them to create compassionate environments of care. How does what we know about compassion shape what we think about nurses? Yeah, I've been uh, out uh, supporting some of the pickets. And I remember one in particular, um, seeing a nurse with a placard that had the words uh, angels written on it, crossed out with skilled workers written instead. And of course, the public perception that was played up by the media during the COVID pandemic Mm. was um, that nurses are angels, that they're heroes, that they're performing this dedicated care, almost as if they don't have to be able to pay the bills in order to do that. And that really bought into this really long-running notion of nursing as being a vocation that people, especially women, became nurses because they were naturally, had motherly love, they had all of these emotions uh, that made them good nurses, and that somehow if they wanted to be paid properly for that, uh, that was detracting from this good nurse that their behaviour showed them to be. So by recognising them as as skilled workers, particularly that the caring side of, of nursing, that the emotional work that they're performing is also skilled work, mm. that really kind of cuts against uh, that notion, which is is still very prevalent. Um, And of course, uh, the strikes are not just about pay. Um, They're also about the severe shortages within nursing, uh, which creates an environment where so many shifts that people are working in are understaffed. That leads to unsafe conditions and also makes it incredibly difficult for people to perform this compassion. Thank you, Sarah. That was really interesting. I talked a little bit more about some of these themes with Dr. Jennifer Jackson. Jennifer is based in Canada at the University of Calgary. She's a registered nurse and assistant professor with a clinical practice background in critical care and tons of expertise in nursing work and health systems. We started talking about her article that was titled, Is the Art of Nursing Dying? I think this is especially timely because... If anything, the strikes in the UK among nurses are sort of the ultimate response to that article. Now, I know the strikes are separate from what we wrote, but it's sort of that idea come full circle. Florence Nightingale said that the art of nursing was the ability to create an environment where care can happen and to create a context where care was possible. So for Nightingale, this meant 
clean air, clean drinking water, clean sheets, healthy food. And this was really the advent of public health, was saying that if we create this environment that is supportive of health, then the nursing work can support the patient in a more direct way. So we saw a lot of evidence of that in her work in the Crimea, saying like, okay, we need to get the wards cleaned up because more people are dying from infection and and poor conditions than they were in the military conflict. And so um, I fully acknowledge that Florence Nightingale is, there's lots of critiques that we can view about her work in terms of class and race. And, and I would never say that we should overlook those things. What I'm arguing is that her vision of the art of nursing and creating an environment where care can happen, that is an important factor that we can still relate to today. What I see is that that ability to create an environment is being squashed. So eight and 10 shifts in the UK, um, the nurses are short-staffed. They're not able to, you know, get from patient to patient, let alone do things that like quality improvement or safety initiatives or things that improve the environment. It's it's running from one fire to the next, and I can understand where nurses feel like they're not they're mm-hmm. not doing their best work. And mm-hmm. so with our call to action of is the art of nursing dying, we were saying is nursing's ability to create an, a positive environment for care, are we losing that ability? And I think the strike is the ultimate response to that, to say we're taking that ability back. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't be more pleased. (laughs) I'm sorry it's come to this, but I'm glad to see that nurses are recognizing their political power and using it. Well, so I think it's a good time to ask you then about emotional labor, because you talk about that a lot in your research into what nurses do. And you define emotional labor as this sort of um, this quite distinct domain of nursing work. Can you tell us what what we mean when we say emotional labor, what is that? Emotional labor is when nurses use their emotions to create a therapeutic environment. This is from Professor Pam Smith's work. She was the one who really consolidated emotional labor in nursing. And what I've done is pick up that idea and place it in context with other kinds of labor. So we have physical labor. And this is anything that nurses do with their bodies. So washing folks, um, feeding people, supporting them to ambulate, doing dressing changes, all these kinds of things. Physical labor is what other people can see. So they understand that that's nursing because you can watch a nurse do much of that work. Mm. Now, people think that that is the totality of nursing because the other three categories you, you can get hints of it, but you can't actually watch it happen. We have cognitive labor, which is a concept I've created, which reflects the mental work of nursing or the mental load of nurses. And then we also have organizational labor, which was created by Davina Allen. And that work is all of the things nurses do to create patients' trajectories through the system. So phone calls, Filling out paperwork, documentation, chasing up lab results, all of those kinds of things that each in their individual way you think, oh, it's just filling out a form. But if that form isn't properly filled out, 
then someone can't be discharged and they're discharged without all the necessary information and it becomes unsafe and there's this whole knock-on effect. So coming to emotional labor, that is where we use our emotions to create a therapeutic environment. Classic example is you're panicking, but you stay calm so that the patient does not panic. And this is work. It is a hard thing to do. And we all do emotional labor all the time. So if you've come home from a long day and open the fridge and there's nothing in there because nobody picked up the groceries on the way home because they ran to catch the train instead. And now you have to figure out what you're going to do for supper and, you know, on and on and on. And you might feel like screaming, but screaming at your partner isn't the best option at that moment so you do some emotional labor so you say okay I want to scream right now but instead I am going to say okay we're gonna get a takeaway let's get some dinner let's feed the kids and move on so we all do that all the time the difference is that it's for a therapeutic purpose and we're paid for it or theoretically we're paid for it so with emotional cognitive and organizational labor you don't see that happening. It's not something that's visible. So therefore, my experience is many people don't realize it's happening because they don't see it. So that's mm. where you end up with the idea that nurses go around with the tea trolley and pass out little cups of pills and they're there, dear, and pat you on the head. And and we see this in a lot of professions where it's historically women are the largest group. So with like air hostess roles, People think they pass out drinks and and peanuts and what they actually do is keep us from plummeting to our deaths in an airplane every single time we get on board. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what we found is that the public, policymakers, government, everybody expects nursing to do emotional labor. We expect nurses to be caring. I've heard lots of times that physicians You can say, oh, he has bad bedside manner, but he's still a good doctor. You know, oh, he's a good surgeon. But I have never once heard anybody say that nurse has a bad bedside manner, but they're still a good nurse. Mm. I should also say I very deliberately use the words work and labor in the research that I do. I don't talk about caring and that kind of thing because work and labor are what you are paid for. And I'm a very staunch advocate that nurses need to be paid for the totality of their work. I'd like to ask you as well about compassion, which I'm guessing comes under emotional labour, that that is an emotional labour. And something, the, the way you describe it in your article that we've been talking about, you give a really lovely example of washing a patient and how that is expert, skilled use of compassionate play. And that really helped me think about compassion in a different way. Can you tell us a little bit more about compassion and how you view it for nursing? Certainly. So I think compassion is something that can be a little bit nebulous as to what is it, but I think it is that genuine sharing of emotion and empathy and being with someone wherever they are at. And I think that there's lots of ways that compassion is enacted that, again, is, is perhaps invisible or people don't fully appreciate, but is definitely there. I think with the example of washing a patient, we see that's where we can get a lot of intersections of nursing work. So, for example, um, if you have someone and you're helping them get cleaned up and 
you know, what, what a casual observer might see is a nurse, you know, using a washcloth, helping a patient. I would suggest that what's actually happening there is, you know, the nurse is maybe chatting with the patient, but they're assessing cognition. They're looking at mental thought processes. They're assessing coordination. Can this person do this task? Could they potentially be safe to go home? Because if they can't wash themselves, they're not, or they would need assistance at home. What kind of supports do they have at home? Do they live in a flat with lots of stairs? Are, you know, is this something they can manage? Also, you're doing a huge amount of work to support that person's dignity, support their privacy. You're assessing their skin. Does their skin look okay? What about their fingernails? What about their coloring? What about all these other factors that build in? And you could do the task of just, you know, applying soap and water, but nurses have built that in in a way that can support a patient to feel empowered. And I can think to myself that if I needed help to wash myself, that would be a pretty stressful thing. And I, I would probably be embarrassed if I was in that situation. But as a nurse, vulnerable. you're using your compassion to, to reframe that and possibly that mm. it's a victory. Like you have improved so much that you can now wash yourself. Whereas three weeks ago, you were in ICU and you weren't even conscious. Do you think compassion can be taught? This is a tough one. This is an age old debate. I would say that... Compassion can be supported, and I think empathy, which would be foundational for compassion, can be enhanced. So I'm mindful that the people who come towards nursing probably have an inclination that they want to provide compassion and integrate that into their care anyway. People who don't have that sort of drive to work with and help other people probably opt into different career choices. So to the small degree that personality comes into play, I think that happens upstream. Um, however, I think with anything, you need the environment to support it. So you can be a compassionate person, but if you're absolutely overwhelmed with things, um, I'm sure my family can tell you that when I've been really stressed out, my compassion level might go down a little bit and I might be a little shorter with people than than what I would ideally like. And that's a factor of the, the environment that you're in. So I think compassion can be enhanced in that way by building empathy, more understanding and human connection. I think those things are important, but we have to be careful that the ability of nurses to be compassionate doesn't override all the other expectations we have of nurses or our understanding of what nursing work is mm. because there's so many other things that are happening. And I think there's a risk that nurses are solely defined by their compassion or, you know, is a nurse mean or not or that kind of thing. And um, I hope that we can place that in the yeah. context of a bigger picture. That was Dr. Jennifer Jackson. Big thank you to all my guests for this episode of Past Caring. Dr. Jennifer Jackson, Rachel Mulligan, and Ofra Maflahi, and of course, Dr. Sarah Cheney for being our in-house historian for this episode. You can hear from Sarah on other podcasts, including her episode for the Living with Feeling podcast on robot nurses. If you want to hear more news from nurses and the RCN, you can listen to Nursing Matters, the RCN's other podcast, where they discuss nursing news and professional issues in nursing. 
You can find that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and plenty of other platforms. And remember, we've got other episodes of Past Caring too, including mental health nursing, women's health and more. Look out for our next episode on the history of nurses and industrial action. I'm Frances Reed. Thanks for listening to Past Caring.